Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Magento audits. Uh, Perhaps the who, what, when, where, why, and how of uh, Magento audits. Uh, you know why you might need one. Who might be involved in performing an audit? What the benefits are? Uh, you know how often should you do it? When should you do it? We'll try to really cover the entirety of the topic as quickly as we can, uh, bringing you some really meaningful information. Um, with me today, I have Guillaume from the Mage Montreal team. Guillaume, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Well, thank you for having me, Robert. So I'm Guillaume Letsua. I'm the founder of Mage Montreal. Started the company in 2007. So I've been around for a while. And uh, all we do is uh, e-commerce on the Adobe and Magento platform. We do nothing else. So we'll do design, programming, audits, uh, support, maintenance, Magento 1, Magento 2, open source, or commerce, previously known as Enterprise Edition. So anything Magento, we do it. So that, that's who we are. So I'm glad because with a name like Mage Montreal, if you were working on other platforms, I think you'd need to, you know, work on the branding a little. So that's, uh, do you, has that really served you well? I mean, that had to have been an interesting decision that you really narrowly focused the business name. Um, how did you come to that? You know, did you, did you foresee in tech 10 years ahead that you'd still be, or, or at this point, a little more than that, I suppose, uh, yeah. that, that you'd really still be laser focused on, on this particular market? Uh, no, no, no. We we evolved through the years for sure. So we started as a general web agency, then we refined us into like an e-commerce agency, and then we refined it into a Magento agency. So we, we dropped off platform as we went because it just doesn't make that much sense business-wise. You can take a great uh, business case like uh, the, the, the famous uh, Southwest Airlines and so on, uh, you know, that they just fly one type of plane so all the technicians know how that plane works all the spare parts work on all the, the planes they own and so on so it just made more sense for us to say we're going to ditch every other platform we're going to be specialized on just this one platform so several years ago we did uh, the rebranding because we were already working on nothing else than magento for a few years if somebody was wanting an e-commerce site we would see if it was a fit for magento and then we would decide if we take them or not as a client so we repositioned the branding around that. And yes, it did serve us very well. That makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I know in general, um, there are a lot of challenges when you try to take on too many platforms that there's intricacy, um, you know, trying to manage too many at once. There are certain things that I think you can provide service for that are more general. Um, you know, things like, uh, you know, in my agency days, if we were going to run Google ads, what the site was built with was a little bit less relevant than if we were being asked to do actual dev work and you know updates and upgrades and uh, and applying themes and other things. So um, that certainly works. And Mage Montreal, uh, obviously, you know that has a, a regional flair to it uh, for the Canadian audience. Have you found that you really work a particular niche, particular geographic targets? Has the name really helped you to build up your reputation in, in your region? Or um, ha yep. have you found that it's just really your, <laughs> your calling card because it's where you're headquartered, um, but, but you're really uh, you know, seeing more demand from other areas? Well, all, all of the above. Uh, so yes, it, it did help a lot, regionally speaking. Um, positions us ourselves very strongly it's a very strong declaration like we are the magento experts in the area here uh, there are other firms as well of course but it positions us very very strongly um so far it has not been any issue but i did have some thoughts about it say hey when when we sell in the us and so on like is it a problem um and so far, it has not been a problem whatsoever. And then I just keep thinking, well, you know, Boston pizzas all over the world. So whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've been working Magento sites for years now. How early into M1 did you, uh, if you remember, did you start to get into the platform? Uh, about a year after it came out. So, uh, but then it was not exclusive. We would play with, uh, you know, OS Commerce and uh, other 
choice and virtue mart on joomla and uh, you know and magento one that was all new stuff back then very clearly magento set itself apart and we ditched the other platform progressively that's interesting and what were some of those early projects like because i imagine that what you're working on today is probably on average more complex uh, certainly than what you could build in year two of magento's existence Oh, for sure. It's, it has nothing to do with it. You know, really, like, there was no responsive. Like, responsive sort of was trendy in 2012 as sort of standard 2013. So before that, you said, like, do you want a mobile website? And a question that you won't even ask nowadays. Yeah. So the world uh, has changed a lot. I remember when they first developed uh, a, a native theme that was responsive and explaining to merchants why they should be replacing their theme was a big, big conversation. And we built a lot of mobile sites. Um, I think mobile apps were probably a, a little bit trendier for some some brands that I wouldn't necessarily uh, think of needing a mobile app today. Uh, but everyone wanted to figure out how to go mobile the most cost effectively, the most effectively for their shoppers. And it, it was... Uh, as with most uh, technological leaps, I think it, it definitely led to some strong conversations and uh, uh, and a lot of people, just like with, with a lot of users that are still on Magento 1, um, a lot of users that held off for a while, that tried to squeeze us out as much value as they could out of the technology that they were already using. Um, but eventually, as we all understand, uh, you know, at some point, <laughs> if you weren't going to service uh, users that were browsing or shopping on a mobile device, uh, that, that wasn't going to work out all that well for, for your longevity. So uh, totally agreed. Yeah. Uh, you know, so diving in a little bit on, on the audit side. Um, and I know that there are probably some intricacies, whether it's Magento 1 or Magento 2, open source or commerce. But when do you normally recommend a Magento audit? Is it something that you recommend for your existing clients from time to time? Is it mostly something that you recommend to merchants um, in other situations? Uh, yeah. So audits, actually, uh, we have lots of requests for that. And sometimes it's not exactly what the person needs, even though that's what they ask for. Um, so if the question is, do you have a stable system right now? That's the first question. So if you do have a stable system, then yes, it's the right time to do an audit. If you have fires to needs to be taken care of, well, that's what we need to do first. So very often the client comes to us, uh, they already know there are some issues on the side. The, the synchronization between the accounting system or the ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning System, has, has the issues with the, the Magento site or whatever. And there are some really important priorities to to address first and once we have a stable system that's when it's time to uh, add to the list of to-dos it's sort of useless for us to bring to their awareness a ton of issues that they didn't know they had when there are some serious business problems that need to be tackled first so are there use so i imagine that this is a bit of a triage system because if you keep taking every task that they uh, they ask you to assist with um, you'll never get to the audit because there'll always be something in, in queue in a lot of these situations. Um, and you want to put out the emergency fires, but you probably don't want to get too deep because you might find things that are really, really problematic under the hood that would change your long-term recommendations. So I, I imagine if the if there are you know database errors, if the database is screaming foreign key constraint errors, other things going on in there, if um, if the Magento core has been edited and isn't oh, that, intact. Terrible. Yeah. You know, so are, are there sometimes things that you, you're going to look at before you even touch anything or is it, yeah. is it to generally put out the real emergencies first and then come back and check for, um, for some of those, you know, really hot button items that would cause you to say, well, before we install another patch or upgrade or put in another extension or, try to fix this offshoot feature or something before you put any more money in, into this. <laughs> uh, you know, we should really take a look at, at X, which looks very unhealthy and, and is going to impact right. everything else. 
Uh, yeah, you're right like, uh, on this point. So the first step is that we'll actually gain a, a global awareness of all the systems connected there. So perhaps it's an accounting system, maybe there, there's a PIM, you know, the product information management software. Maybe there are emails is on the same server as the website, and we don't want to affect that. Uh, you know, there are all kinds of things like that. So the first thing we're going to map the whole system if they don't already have such a map. Uh, but typically, it's just the larger companies that have uh, those maps already made for their IT systems. So Yes, we will sort of tour the property, so to speak, at first to, to know what we're dealing with in a general way. But that's not yet an audit, just to, to be aware of what's where, uh, what's involved in here. And then, uh, yes, we will want to do an audit. And let's say the audit will be in two parts. Uh, let's say there's no crazy fire or there was just one or two. That's put out, fine. Now it's time to move to the audit. And the audit is either a general audit or a specific audit. And everything falls into one of those two. So the general audit is what you can have sort of pre-made packages for it. You could have a standard audit and a premium audit, something like that. And you could compare that to a house inspection. So the, it's, it's, it's general. The house uh, you know, inspector will not drill a hole in the wall to see what's behind and whatnot. It's a visual inspection of everything. So that's what the general audit is. We'll have a checklist of things to verify. Uh, so it checks a bit of everything globally that, you know that the common, let's say, top forty problems that we have had historically with the website. We have a, we have that list to verify and a few other things like that. Uh, you, you'll do a checkout and see how the experience is, stuff like that. Is there any issues that to report? So it, it is a general audit of functionality of the site and uh, technical. Then you have the specific audit because it's impossible to audit the whole system in a super thorough, detailed way. That would cost like tens and tens of thousands of dollars. There are tens of thousands of lines of code in Magento. It's not true. You're going to review the whole thing line by line. It doesn't make any sense. So it will typically be a specific audit for what the business owner uh, either already identified problems with, like we were talking before, again, the synchronization of systems. So that's where often the request comes from. The business owner or some manager director there sees some tangible problem and starts to suspect that maybe things were not built right in the first place or would like a second opinion, you know. And, and that sort of segues way well into just a quick mention about Magento, that Magento being an open source system like several other platforms, you have so much freedom in there. That's where the freedom and flexibility and power of Magento comes from. You can do whatever you want in there. And there are lots of people who are not trained enough, who are not certified, who don't have the experience or the knowledge um, or the budget, and they cut corners. And you have so much loose rope you can hang yourself with, with Magento. You know, so... That's to contrast, let's say, with SaaS platforms that will be very restrictive. You're going to have a user experience that will be more similar to from one merchant to the next because it's very limited what people can change. So the damage a, a bad programmer could do is limited, but also the good of how much customization for your user experience you can do is very limited. Uh, so with Magento, you do want uh, to have very skilled people working on it. Um, you know, there are claims that there are over 350,000 Magento developers worldwide, but there's less than 10,000 certified Magento developers. So when you, you compare that ratio, very high odds you had a non-certified guy working on your site, which is not necessarily a problem, but it typically is. <laughs> so, You know, there's that breakdown of experience that if there are 350,000 devs that um, say that they work on Magento, how many have really had you know any kind of a, a thorough training? How many have worked on at least minimum a handful of sites and really have that experience? Um, you know, and, and what is their experience? Have they worked on the front end? Have they worked on the back end? Have they worked on M one, M two, open source commerce? Have they worked on building extensions, debugging? Have they used the APIs? Um, that there's a lot of confusion out there around these are specialties and. Yep. You know, so, you know, you talk about home inspections, I'll pull it back to, you know, cars. There are folks that understand how to rebuild a transmission. <laughs> there, there are people out there that have expertise in body work and, and paint jobs, uh, auto glass. I mean, you, you know, you name it, you know, the electrical systems, um, you know, you can go to, a, you know, a larger dealership with a larger service department um, that, that can really handle things across departments. But you 
you know, even if you go to a dealership, they may not be a good body shop. <laughs> uh, they they may recommend that you bring the car somewhere else to deal with that kind of damage because it's just not what they're good at. Um, and that's when they're telling you the truth and not just trying to take the work because the work is easy uh, to to take money and you know make a sale, even if it's they're not really going to be the the best ones to uh, get it done for you the way that it, it's going to hold up and uh, and really do justice to the work. So, yeah, so true. As you're saying, many people will not realize like the complexity level of, of Magento, which is really an enterprise grade platform. It's not a, a little website just like that, you know, and it goes deeper. You can go into business process automation, uh, you know, automating the day-to-day, uh, lives of the employees and uh, how orders goes from the website to the warehouse and so on and so it can uh, be a, it can become a very big system so even magento open source which is a stripped down version of the enterprise edition or commerce version as it's called now uh, it's still a, a very big platform as well uh, so best practices is something that's very important um, especially when sites are outsourced uh, at a low budget overseas we see a lot of uh, malpractice bad problems just like it's just a disaster how it's done because there's often a conflict of interest there that the client wants it as cheap as possible and then uh, the developers say well i'm being paid so little that i don't have time to do all the things the right way so for example you were talking about editing the core which is a disaster it's a big big no no never (laughs) okay but it's longer for a developer to build a module that will be independent that will modify the functionality of the core. It's faster to just go in the core and change it, which is an obvious yeah, malpractice. But, but then when you go to upgrade or patch, the files aren't as the- Things don't work. You know, aren't as they're supposed to be. And so the, there's gonna be interaction that isn't gonna work out well when you go to install new extensions. The core files aren't intact the way that they're uh, expected to a, be. So they're you know, disaster. Have issues. Yeah. So I have it, a real story know. for you on that one, if you want. Please. So uh, yeah. 10 years of catching up on an old Magento 1 platform. So it was still Magento 1.4. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have changed since Magento 1.4. Like there was a database change around uh, 1.5, 1.6. So there's a lot of of major fundamental changes. So there there were before those, uh, let's let's call it the the more modern version of Magento 1. And they could not process credit cards anymore because they were getting hacked, getting malwares and so on. And the work effort to catch up 10 years like this of patches and updates so they could again process credit card securely before the end of life of Magento, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, it was 100 hours of work. So it is possible to undo bad practices of people who did modify the core, but at every single version, we had to track down, okay, why the heck is this not working? Because the new... Version that's supposed to just fit on top does not fit because the guys changed the core, you know. Well, and if they haven't upgraded, let's say that they had twenty Magento extensions. If those haven't been upgraded and they're not compatible with the patches with the software updates that you know that Magento put out, uh, you know, everything kind of goes hand in hand. I, I recall um, specific patches that came out, you know, five years ago that for Magento one that changed um, the admin pathing, the routing. And so extensions broke. <laughs> they, um, you know, the files weren't the way that uh, that they used to be. It was a security update, um, and that meant that in in order, it's not just installing ten years of patches. It's also upgrading and updating, you know, twenty extensions as best as possible. You know, plus yep. whatever other underlying yeah. <laughs> customizations and core edits and issues were applied. Yep. So this is part of where I think sometimes people miss. Um, some of that and, and where a lot of us in the industry always like to think less is more that, uh, you know, do you really need some of those extensions, you know, or, you know, could, could you do uh, without it that, you know, just like with your your PC or your phone or other things, you know, you don't really want to install a ton of apps or uh, right. software that you don't really need just on a whim. Um, there is a price to pay. There's some technical debt. Yeah, it, it, it's going to make the site heavier to load, so it's going to be slower. It's that simple. And then you have more risk of complexity of uh, conflicts between extensions when you do version updates, so you might increase your future upkeep costs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like typical problems very often, one of the most frequent one to report is, of course, a slow website. And when you have 
bad practices in place, you typically end up with a slow website. Um, and there are things that we can spot sometimes really fast, like in another audit like that we've done, it's, it's the first few minutes say, okay, well, it looks like your current hosting company does not support varnish uh, caching in Redis, it's impossible to to have that that hosting company. So I know, of course, JetRail, you guys support that well. So one of our first recommendations is look, that's it. Will never be very very fast at that hosting company. You need to pick a better host uh, just to start with. That is actually going to support the Magento cache because without cache, Magento is slow. So that that's sort of a you know. Something you, very low hanging fruit that you just see right away. Okay, this hosting is not able to make this site go fast. Yeah, and you know, I I think it's interesting that sometimes I have the conversation about Magento open source and commerce, and to me that's really a question about a balance sheet. You know, which one is going to make more sense for the business? That commerce, you're really getting a lot of extra modules pre-installed, um, so it's the deluxe version. Yeah, you're yep. getting a lot of functionality that you wouldn't off the shelf with Magento open source. But um, sometimes you're going to wind up using extensions instead of those modules anyway, depending on the exact functionality that you're looking That's for. True. So sometimes it's, uh, you know, so, which is, goes back to the balance sheet question of, you know, how many of these features are you going to use? Uh, are Do they meet your exact requirements? Are you going to need to customize them anyway? Or is it going to be cheaper to get a third-party extension anyway? Um, and, you know, and then, you know, if you're leaving these modules enabled and such, um, and you're not using them or they're not really bringing you value, is that leaving additional, um, you know, security vulnerability at, at JetRose, We're really, you know, proud of the fact that we have a lot of security layers for our, our customers really, yeah. um, you know, hard to find a, a host that competes with us head on on that, um, in terms of malware scanning and intrusion detection and locking things down with least privileged access and, um, and fire. I got another so story so. for you on that, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And, and so, well, so my my short story there was we had a customer um, that there was a um, a vulnerability in Magento Commerce's page builder feature. And we had a customer who was very briefly impacted by that. They uh, they were impacted before they could get uh, the patch that was released by by Adobe uh, installed. And you know, so just you know, goes to show that regardless of whether you buy an extension from the Magento marketplace or whether you're getting modules from, you know, as part of your, your commerce installation, um, you know, that, that there's still technical debt there to deal with. Um, and, and so, you know, for, <laughs> it's like, for, you know, for, for every action, there's a reaction kind of a, a, a situation um, that I, I think it is really interesting now. In, in that case, again, you know, having the right host certainly helps Having the right security layers certainly yep. helps um, to be able to deal with, you know, not only proactively blocking out threats, but uh, reactively uh, catching them and addressing them cohesively. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of that. But l- let's jump over to your story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to tie in exactly in this because any competent sysadmin could like set up a server and put Magento on it. It's going to work, but it's not going to work efficiently and it's not going to have all the uh, I's dotted and all the T's crossed and it's not going to be as performant as it can be. Uh, and some example of this about like hosting security here, the stuff we found in audits. So uh, we were doing that Magento audit and then we we... Before the client even gives us the access, we downloaded the copy of his site, a whole copy of the site, without him giving us a credential. So how that was done was simply that there was a, a Git file. What that is, is a version control software, Git, that is used by good developers to control the changes on Magento. And there's that uh, repo here that you have once you had the file, you can download the whole site there because it was not protected, was not secured. So, so it was just a free access to the Git repo on the server. Well, that so was we downloaded- nice of them, right? They made it easy for you. Wasn't yeah. That, yeah. Um, wasn't that helpful? You know, it's so interesting. So here's software, very common, very popular, that helps developers to push out changes and to be able to see which developer pushed what at what time and roll back changes and really organizes this so that if there is an issue or problem, there's a, a chain of custody that you can really see what's been happening and how, and uh, you can compare, uh, you know, the live, you know, uh, instance of Magento versus what should be there, what's been been pushed and all that. Um, but if you don't lock it down properly, just like every all other right. piece of 
uh, of the environment. It's, you know, not that this one is so special. There was recently um, a Magento security incident that impacted a few thousand Magento One users. It was called Card Bleed. And um, I mean, really, a lot of hosts across the board weren't protected against it. A lot of big names. Um, we've talked a little bit about Card Bleed in, in our blog recently. Uh, we have a, a cool post up about um, Magento One security since the end of life of Magento One, since July 2020. And it, the interesting thing was that the vector that um, th- that the hackers were going in through had to do with an admin resource that should have never been open to the public. And so for JetRails users, this is something that was locked down in our configurations. Um, but so many hosts and pr- just about every name I can think of in Magento hosting uh, was impacted by it because it's not a standard that they applied for their users. Uh, you know, that they they provide more infrastructure than they do service and support. And so I, I think that that's a, a really interesting facet that, you know, you don't have to be with a JetRails, um, but you really need to be doing these things yourself, if not. And as we know, with so many things in life, people aren't doing this for themselves. <laughs> no, no, that's it. And, and we can go further in that story. I'm telling you like all kind of other things when you start mixing and matching technology. Let's say you have also a WordPress installed in the same hosting instance as your Magento. You're adding a lot of security flaws there because Magento is just like in a, in a class in itself versus WordPress for security. Magento is a transactional platform. Uh, the core of it is a transactional platform. You cannot even compare for security. WordPress can be made very secure, of course, but that is also another thing. You have to keep it up to date, all the plugins and all that stuff. And same thing, you could gain access. And there's another thing, you know, when a programmer is connecting to the database, he has to enter a password to connect to that database and where it is. And that thing is stored in a file and this file is supposed to be secure. And not accessible. So same thing. We could access that file, which <laughs> because the hosting was not very secure. And then we could download that file and we had to clear the password how to connect to the database. So just little anecdotes like this of like bad practices. They're more common than uh, than, than people want to realize. Um, another one of our recent blog posts was talking about um, Magento hosting security threats and why it's so important to update and the number of users that are on servers with old, outdated versions of PHP, the number of users that um, are being impacted by uh, breaches and other things, it's not an across the board. It's not that these things impact everyone. Typically, um, you know, from my experience, they're impacting the businesses that don't really pay much attention to their security. Um, they're they're happy to not think about it, <laughs> and yeah. that only works until it doesn't. Um, you know that that's how the, the world works, and in a lot of cases, it's worse because not only does it not work until, uh, or, or not only does it you know work until it doesn't, but you don't know when it stopped working. You don't know when you've been hacked because you don't have systems in place to notify to identify what's happening. Um, and so by the time that you actually realize there's damage. Uh, and yeah. so that that's, I think, um, you know, for us, the more egregious side, I mean, we do audits, uh, security audits of hosting environments all the time. It's a common request that we get. Um, we've got a, a security page up on our site where people can even, you know, get some of that free automated, uh, you know, reporting from us and, and our team will dive in and, and just take a look from the outside. Like you say, some of these things, they don't require us to have access to the environment and check. We're going to look the same way as a hacker does and see, oh, look at this. This is open. This is unpatched. This is out of yep. date. This is, you know, this has vulnerabilities. And we can tell so much of that within just a couple of minutes uh, of running some, uh, you know, some tools. Uh, uh, we could we could actually share some of those tools because it's just a good thing. Even if you're a store owner, like you can go to places like uh, say magereport.com and see what that thing suggests. Then if you don't already have Google Search Console installed on your site, that was formerly known as Google Webmaster Tools, very good idea to have that installed and to check what Google has to say about your site. Um, you know, you have also for the speed, like Google Lighthouse is going to give you a lot of, of stuff. Uh, GT Metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pingdom tools. Um, then there are other tools that we'll use in audit like that, like uh, MX Toolbox to check, uh, you know, e- MX routings or DNS and stuff like that. Uh, you can have also a free scan on Security Scanner without even buying it. 
Um, what else could you do there? Uh, so some paid tools like SEM Rush for some uh, general SEO audit for your your site. So th- that's a lot of tools that are either free or not or inexpensive that you can already have a quick portrait yourself as a site owner or manager by running those tools and say, well, maybe my site's not that healthy. Maybe I need a second opinion and 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 bring your finding and actually get an audit. <laughs> That's going to not only use those tools, but have also a programmer go hands-on. And then we have a specific audit, like, for example, Robert, you're talking here of a security audit. So that's a specific audit. Okay, let's audit security. We can audit, let's say, um, the user's experience. So in, in far greater depth than just a general audit, and then make a report recommendations on user experience. And then you'll have also technical audits as respecting best practices. Or then you can also audit a specific module, like that ERP integration was talking about. Or um, again, audit specific problems. Uh, sometimes we, we find things, especially like in menus, if it's not done respecting the, the, the coding standards, the menu can be sending queries to the database for so many categories that has hundreds and hundreds of categories. And then it's fetching that in a ridiculously inefficient way, which slows down the site by several seconds just to load the menu. Yeah. And, and again, and these are things that by and large, um, you know, each kind of audit takes a different amount of time. You choose and prioritize things accordingly that, you know, people don't usually audit everything under the sun. No. Um, but before you're going to dump a lot more money into maintaining and managing a site, you often want to know uh, if certain things are healthy, especially if there are red flags. If, if you yeah. think that there are issues going on, you know, like you say, checking loading speed. I mean, you know, one of the first things that we check, we've got um, uh, a speed tester at jetrails.com that uh, at our speed page that checks time to first byte. And that'll often tip us off if the hosting environment, look, if it's taking three seconds just to get the first byte of data from uh, the website uh, hosting, you know, uh, compiled and over to the web browser of the person that's trying to visit the website, by the time the, the page finishes loading, it's awful. Um, you know, so there are certain things that just tip you off that something's just not well optimized. And that doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, there are other things that I, I find when auditing myself that sometimes, you know, you just go in and take a look at broken links. People have no idea that their sites have accumulated links that go nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And, and Google Search Console is pretty much one of the best tools. It's great for that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there are things that I, I think it's a lot easier once you do a good audit to then keep up with tracking some of these things and keep an eye. And once you're using some of these tools, um, sometimes, you know, especially when you haven't been doing it, it's great to have a professional come in and and help and do an initial cleanup because that'll be uh, a bigger job. But it it, it is for sure um, interesting. And so is there some kind of an average that you think uh, a site, obviously this is going to be very particular because especially as you're auditing, I do compare this in some ways. If you're going to do a more thorough audit, um, you know, uh, I, for years I, I talked about it like being a plumber or electrician. You start taking down the sheetrock and you don't know what you're going to find. And, you know, the deeper that you go, the more time that you invest in. Um, but just to more of the vitals, is there like a baseline if you're going to take over an existing site that it usually takes a minimum of five or 10 hours just to, um, you know, check and make sure that the last guys didn't leave a complete train wreck. Yeah, you sort of choose how you set the bar on, on that the uh, first initial inspection there. So you can, there's no such thing as an industry standard audit in an industry standard premium audit or stuff like that. Hmm. So you sort of make your degradation yourself as to what it is, um, you know, so a, a more general surface audit could be a few days of work in a more in-depth audit could be a week of work or something like that. You could also, like I was saying, sort of survey toward the property before you start working. We'll always do that. And that can be a few hours, like you're saying. And then the first day, especially if it's a big site, very complex, lots of third-party connection system, you might take a day or two just to sort of map the whole thing. And, and, and then you sort of start working on the, on the emergency, unless it's a truly uh, an immediate need for a hot fix uh, right there, which we try to avoid, of course, when possible. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a feeling like we should put together some piece of content yet on some of these, these tools that you were mentioning. I, I wrote an article recently on like my top, I, I lost count at some point. It had to be at least a dozen e-commerce, uh, 
website uh, tests, scanners, different things that um, that are valuable uh, to check. And, and some of the things that you mentioned are on there. You, you mentioned several that aren't. Um, I, the list goes on. But again, you know, there are things that I think the other question is like, how often is it worth checking them? And some of that, in my opinion, always comes down to the size of the store. It's just like if you're running paid ads, if you're running, you know, a thousand dollars a month in ad budget, really, there's not going to be enough data on a day-to-day basis to be in there adjusting. You could, um, but you probably wouldn't be using your time very wisely. Uh, on the other hand, if you're running, you know, a hundred thousand or a million dollars a month in ad spend, there's going to be enough data there. Um, to really be making adjustments more frequently, checking the data more frequently. So I, I think that that's, uh, you know, that's part of figuring out the right strategy and maybe more of the consultative part of the process is, okay, you know, now we've got a baseline. These are things that should be checked, whether the merchant's going to check themselves or whether, you know, certain tasks are going to be done on a schedule by the, uh, by the dev team, by the agency as part of a maintenance schedule, uh, but just upkeep. Yeah, um, exactly. Things change. Things are not stagnant. Security changes. Threats change. Um, you know, ways the of size of the business and optimizing yeah. change. Yeah. The, the size of the business and the market will dictate to some degree uh, frequency for for those uh, updates and and what procedure can be uh, put in place. I, I have in mind some great uh, case study of a client there that you know started very small and then grew up to over eight figure. And of course, the need really changed throughout the years and and a backup once a day was fine then for the startup phase and uh, then backup once per hour for the database uh, once he's a bigger client and so on uh, in case he would have a problem wants to be sure that he doesn't lose more than an hour of, of data or something like that. So of course the business needs will evolve and will change and has to be adjusted for every uh, single uh, business as that. Uh, for sure, the base thing is the version updates. So version updates, uh, you want to stay current for sure. Uh, Adobe will release quarterly a new patch every three, three months. You have a new version. Now, uh, if you want to be devil's advocate here, sometime the new patch may introduce new bugs. If it's a big new version, like version 2.4.0 uh, when it came out, had a few bugs in it, but uh, it's so much better than 2.3 from a general technical point of view. And then you have 2.4.1 comes out, fixes most of those bugs. So you, you might Becomes much wait more a little stable, bit yeah. if you want, uh, but don't get like a year behind. Uh, no, like maybe give the extension developers a chance to make sure that their extensions are compatible with the new version. You know, wait until, like you say, you know, 2.4.1 just came out October 15th for general release. So, uh, you know, that you wait until you get to, you know, some of the bugs worked out. But even when you're upgrading minor versions like 2.3.5 to 2.3.6, um, I wrote an article about all these releases from October 15th. There's a good number of software updates. It's not just some, uh, you know, a handful of things. There were, I, I want to say, at least 100 updates going from 2.3.5 to 2.3.6. So there's qualitative updates in there. It's um, it's not uh, it's not something that that just gets done in an hour. <laughs> to, oh, if to apply you that update. At, you, you look at the contribution list of this; it's quite amazing. Like what the Magento community contributes, even to the paid version of Magento, uh, you, you can have more than a hundred contributor who submitted fixes to a minor release like that. For you know, uh, I don't have the exact number for that specific patch version, but you can regularly uh, regularly see that so and then you also have the core team of adobe uh, their own developers doing all that extra work for the the next minor version like you're saying uh, 2.3.5 to 2.3.6 and it's really a lot of hundreds of hours of work that goes into upgrading the system so people say oh just minor versions no there can be some major yeah. um, improvements like I, all i'm checking my my own writing here and i wrote um quoting myself here which is a strange thing for a person to do <laughs> but 160 functional fixes in this release there you go uh going from 235 to 236 so you know at that point i think it's a good question should you just go to 241 
um, rip the Band-Aid off and, and upgrade. And I think that's a personal conversation between, you know, website owners and developers. And generally speaking, the answer is yes. Yeah, uh, I, I because so. um, otherwise you're creating inefficiencies in the workflow. So when we take over a new client account and they are in an older version, uh, if time is allowed, they're not too much in a crunch, the situation is reasonably stable and so on, the first step is the Magento version update because a lot of the bug fix that they would ask us to, to fix might be totally irrelevant to fix after a version update. Maybe it will already self-correct. And anyway, for stuff that would not have self-corrected with the new version, you would be building on an older version that might waste work or break things when you do the update after. So the logical step is first do the version update and build from there. Nah, that certainly jives with my way of thinking. Um, yeah. Have you ever had... Uh, there's a situation that I've ran into more times than I'd care to remember, quite frankly, uh, where in my agency days, we do an audit and we'd have to go back to the customer and say, look, you know, we know you spent some money here, um, but the state of this site is so rough. The the theming wasn't done properly. The core has been edited. The, um, you know, the database has errors. Like that there's no one working part here. And it's impossible to define exactly how much work it'll take to get this back to a healthy, stable place for long-term uh, success, for long-term patching and, you know, a clear path to install extensions and other things of that nature. And so we had to break the news as gently as we could that, in our expert opinion, the safest route would be to start over, even though we understood that economically that that wasn't going to be um, certainly ideal. It's not what anybody wants to hear. You know, nobody wants to hear bad news. Um, we had to, you know, be ready for someone to be really upset with us or, or tell us that we were, you know, just trying to upsell them a new site or something that, you know, we were making things up. Usually they took it in stride. They didn't, they weren't always budget ready for that, uh, reality. Um, but usually they accepted it as our professional opinion and, and understood what we were saying and why. Have you had to walk that walk? Yeah, several times, actually. Um, but it, it would come down, like you say, to business analysis, what makes sense for that company and so on. And we would list all the findings that we have and we would rank them. Like, this is a critical problem, this is major, this is low priority and so on. What's the impact? And then we can estimate them. So very often it came down to kind of an Excel grid here that, okay, this cost this much just cost this much you and do you want to invest in fixing all this and what would be the project's budget here to fix all that stuff or the, the selected options to fix and the, even the stuff that you decide to not fix at least you you have it documented and this is a list of known issues and sort of sets the baseline to go forward and to do the rest of the work that we know this issue is documented and won't be addressed uh, budget was not allocated to it's not worth it for the investment and then we can also make a quote for uh, what a new website looks like if the case is that bad, like you're saying. And there were cases like that. It's like, look, uh, 10,000 more, you have a brand new site. Do you want to start fresh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really the conversation. Is it's, it's a money pit situation. It's a house where, you know, every time you take down another piece of sheetrock, you're going to find another problem. Like you say, you know, that in an audit, you can't go through every line of code. But over time... Um, you're going to keep finding more issues. Uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, I, you know, that we'd have developers that would, you know, complain about spaghetti code, code that yeah. went all over the place. Sometimes didn't end anywhere. Didn't didn't actually do anything. It was just remnants left behind because someone started writing something, and you know, and and you just find all these things as you go. That um, that I think that's that's the risk. That's the 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 danger. Um, and on occasion, this would happen from larger agencies uh, that had overall, you know, strong reputations. But in some cases, perhaps they uh, they outsourced some work, or they had some new team members work on something without enough oversight. Or uh, yeah, I'd like to think at least because you know, when an agency earns a strong reputation, typically um, there's a reason behind that. But sometimes things can still somehow go awry. Yeah, you didn't get the A team from that agency. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that depends if they scaled up right or not, uh, like how much conscience they give to uh, actually keeping that reputation and delivering quality work. So there are 
there are some very big agencies that you you will not have that issue at all. Uh, but the price tag goes with it, like a minimum project scope, four hundred thousand dollar USD and stuff yeah, like that. No. You know, um, basically enough. Uh, I, I had an agency telling me the other day that basically. They take the estimate that the developers give them and they triple or quadruple it, which gives them time to redo the whole thing if they need. Like they're not going to leave someone unhappy. I don't know that that's feasible in all cases, but, you know, they look at their raw cost (laughs) and they, you know, and so on. And they figure out hours um, because they know that even with good scoping, the customer's expectations of what they asked for at the beginning of the project um, and and what is actually being delivered at the end and what their needs are actually at the end aren't always perfectly aligned. And so sometimes there's just that give and take to make sure that even if they have to keep, you know, optimizing certain things post launch or working something that like they're not going to leave this, this customer unhappy. Um, and so they find that budget alignment. Obviously, not everybody, not every no. church is prepared <laughs> to budget that way. Um, but I, I think that it's Funny, but it's interesting to hear. That, you know, that in general, it's a challenge because I I think that one thing that I've commonly found is that merchants, once they've been told an estimate, they really don't want an overage. They really don't want to spend more, even if their their needs change or their their scope changes or their wants change. They really don't want to put more uh, investment in because they, they do look at it as more of a finite project. So. Um, I, I suppose that that's sometimes, um, you know, part of the, the challenge um, is, is uh, comes down to economics of. So you were saying picking an agency uh, that, that's properly budgeted, you know, not just taking the lowest bidder from anywhere in the world uh, that, that you can find mm-hmm. randomly. Um, but I, I think also um, in, in some cases, making sure that um, if anything that, you know, I, Maybe that there's some kind of um, a budget of maybe not double to triple, but some kind of extra hours there for look, you know, here's the estimate, but we build in an extra few, whatever it is, hours. Well, a contingency budget that like contingency budget can be declared and it's online. And, and so, yeah. but I don't sell to clients big enough to do that. Uh, triple, <laughs> quadruple the budget. No, no way. The sale won't go through. Maybe if you sell to Fortune 100 clients, I don't know. Oh, that would um, be nice. Yeah, but uh, no, it's definitely not here. Uh, of course, I, I tend to refer them also to go get certified in agile project management. Uh, We've got a good episode on the podcast on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan, uh, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a big question of the discussion. What's the client's expectation there? Because if there's uh, a lot of unknown then you will have a variation. You'll have a ballpark. So it's going to cost roughly that much, that much. Are you willing to sort of get into a project? It's going to cost roughly that range. And you know there's unknown and, and you scope that and you manage that if doing agile project because there is unknown. If you have a very finite list, uh, you go to grocery, get the bread, the butter, and <laughs> the milk. That's that's not agile. That's just a checklist. Okay, this, 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 cost that much done. Simple. Um, the old waterfall method, sure. Yeah, exactly. For the very simple uh, project, and the more unknown complexity you have, the more you'll go toward an agile or a hybrid of, of both. So we'll often do hybrid. Yeah. So it's case so, by case, though. Yeah, and I think we've covered <laughs> a lot of material in a pretty reasonable amount of time. So uh, before we wrap up, um, Guillaume, any final thoughts? Anything else that, that you'd like to add? Well, I have more, uh, way more uh, audit stories I could share, but I don't want to get the, uh, the the episode to be too long. So, uh, and we don't want to. Sc- I, I mean, I good. I know that we're somewhere around Halloween now, but we don't want to scare people too too much. Um, right. Just because, look, you know, everyone's got stories about you know home contractors and car mechanics and all these uh, <laughs> all these kinds of service providers that they were unhappy with, but then. Um, there's no shortage of people that have amazing experiences with phenomenal practitioners. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to just doing your homework. And, um, and and I like to think hiring teams that work well together, that have that experience and, and know that they're going to align really well. Maybe I'll throw in one last story since I mentioned I have so many more. Uh, I'll try to keep this one short. Sure. So um, there was a case that the admin username and password was stolen. It was a bit unclear how that happened. Was it a compromised computer? There was also a stolen cell phone at that time. It was a bit unclear, but one thing was for sure. The username and admin were stolen. So really by a person, this is something deliberate. It's not a robot attacking the site. And 
then that person logged in and changed a PayPal account in the admin. So for four days, it took four days for the company to realize that that was happening, that the money was not going in their own PayPal account, it was going to somebody else's PayPal account for every sales happening on the website. So, um, that- and the amount of security layers that should have stopped that should be bewildering to anyone listening because I, on a hosting level, the admin should be locked down uh, by IP. That there should be, uh, you know, two factor authentication on the admin. I mean, if someone's still on Magento, one uh, JetRails has a free Magento 2FA extension, works wonders, uh, helps keep people out of there. But, I could keep going. I mean, um, actually, I think uh, we've got an article uh, on your blog from way back when about how to secure your Magento admin. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 it shouldn't be happening, um, no, but it does. Not. It and, can be prevented. You just need to put best practices in place and it will be prevented. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I've heard of such things. I haven't run into them in a while, um, but certainly that we, we received them on the front line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, you mentioned things uh, earlier about keeping a variety of different things within your Magento hosting environment. Having, let's say, WordPress, which is common, um, we're good at locking down around that, and, and often separating things out onto two separate servers when when budgets allow. Uh, you know, a lot of these things, it's it's all additive. Every extension, every um, every additional piece of software that's installed adds something that should be properly managed and maintained both by the developers and on the hosting side. And, I, you know, less is, is more. I think we'll leave with that, uh, that thought as, as we get closer to New Year's. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe we'll ask the, <laughs> the audience, uh, maybe that, that's a pretty good thing. Um, you know, in terms of New Year's resolutions, uh, install a little bit less, enjoy it more, um, have have a, a little bit more success. Uh, you know, working with, with what you've got there. Um, as always, if uh, if anyone out there uh, listening has questions, thoughts, feedback, um, we always love to hear from you. And uh, Guillaume, really fantastic to finally have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining today and, and sharing some of your stories and insights. Uh, this was great. So um, I, I know we're going to have uh, an episode on your podcast coming up as well. Um, and uh, we'll look forward to it. Um, and um, to our listeners, uh, as always, happy st- selling. Stay safe out there. And uh, we'll bring you more content very soon. Well, thank you, Robert, for having me. And I'll be happy to answer questions if anyone sends them over. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.